As you guys can see, we have uh, quite a different setup for this episode. Uh, introducing some mic stands, and also we have uh, no guests today for the first time. What? I thought I was in the guest seat. So Dan took the guest seat just because he's the tallest and most handsome, so he's got to be <laughs> front and center. Uh, but yeah, all right. We're so basically, um, what is this? I think episode twenty of the podcast. And so we've done uh, 19 episodes before this, all interviews with people uh, outside of us three. And we've been getting a bunch of questions on Twitter uh, and just through people that have watched the show that want to learn more about us. So first off, thanks for your interest. We love to talk about ourselves and we'll be doing that a whole bunch. Today. We never get to talk about ourselves on the show. It's always guess this and guess that. No, I'm kidding. But yeah. Super exciting to have uh, an internal episode and let you guys dive you know learn more about our personalities and what goes on behind the scenes and with our businesses so yeah uh so structure for these episodes um in the beginning is going to kind of be all over the place we're going to talk about uh kind of just relevant topics in the media relevant topics within our lives the different businesses that we're running and uh also just listen to what you guys want to hear us talk about so if you have questions or things you want to know about any of us or any of the things that we're working on just uh, reach out through social media, uh, through Twitter, wherever you like to find us, and send those questions. We're probably going to be doing these uh, solo episodes once a month, I'd say. And so Dan actually came up with a great name for this segment. Members Lounge. Members Lounge. So we're here in the Grand Cathedral Cigars Members Lounge in Tampa, Florida. So a great name for this segment of the podcast. But honestly, Christian, I don't know if you remember when we podcasted like three years ago, Real Talk University. We did our own one-on-one -on -one solo episode series. You remember what we called it? No. Come on. <laughs> I don't remember, bro. All right, he's fired. Scott, get him out of here. Someone um, get security. Dude. Yeah, I don't know. Come on. The classroom? <laughs> this guy's, I don't remember, this guy's bro. It's like four years uh, ago. Lecture series. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so Christian and I used to be... Uh, prominent podcasters back in uh college days but anyways we'll jump into it the format that we're going to take is uh every time we do a new members lounge episode one of us three are going to be the host and we're just going to basically start the conversation around certain topics that we want to talk about and that you guys want to hear from us and uh kind of see where it goes so this is going to be very new for us especially with the mic stands a lot of new stuff happening right now so we're just going to settle in and, and get comfortable. So uh, starting off for today, where I, I want to kind of start this off with is introducing the different businesses that we work on together and kind of talking more about our history and business and how we partnered up and how we all know each other. And then we'll go into specific questions and you guys can all share your perspective. So uh, first off, let's just introduce ourselves again for the audience. So my name's Andre. Dan. Christian. All right, though, we did that. Uh, and so I guess quick story. Uh, Dan and I are cousins, for people that don't know. And Christian and I met in college, and then I introduced Christian to Dan, and that's how we all know each other. And I guess our entrepreneurial journey started back in college when Christian and I started the podcast, Real Talk University. Uh, that's how we discovered cold email. That's how we really just got super invested in entrepreneurship in general. And it wasn't until Dan moved back from uh, Miami, where he originally went to school, moved back to Binghamton, where Christian and I were going to school, uh, that we actually started on businesses together. 
and we had a couple failed ventures early on all throughout COVID. And I guess our first real success was with uh, KnowledgeX, which is our lead generation agency. Did that for a couple of years, actually still working on that. That's the main business today. Uh, about a year and a half ago, so halfway through our journey with the agency, we started a coaching program with Daniel Fazio or Cold Email yeah. Wizard, who we have an interview with on this channel, if you want to go check that out. And then somewhere along the journey, we started a software uh, or SaaS product called ListKit, which we'll talk <laughs> about as well. So three different businesses, an agency, a coaching program, and a SaaS. I mean, that's like... For anyone who wonders trifecta. why our agency's name is KnowledgeX, it's because we originally wanted to help <laughs> coaching programs grow and we pivoted into a lead generation agency, kept the name KnowledgeX, and now we have a coaching program helping other people with lead gen and scaling their businesses, so it's all kind of full circle. Um, and it's funny, I met Dan, where were we at Colonial? Yeah. We were at Colonial yeah. one night, out at the bar, having a couple of drinks, and Andre's like, this is my cousin Dan from Miami. I'm like, oh, hey, what's up, man? Shook his hand. Didn't see him again for like a year, couple months, and I thought that what was... What was your impression? Firm handshake, or...? Yeah, good handshake. Good handshake? Tall, sturdy guy, you know. <laughs> well-built, well-mannered. Um, a little jealous because he was going to Miami and I was stuck in snowy, depressing, sad Binghamton, um, which is where these guys are from. Jesus, bro. Yeah, I'm, it's not that bad. I'm not going to hold back. It's, uh, I don't know, you, a little from, depressing you're there. You're from Albany. It's not much better. <laughs> it's colder and more north. It's like diet Binghamton. You guys might have less sun than London and England. All right, I don't whatever. Know, but, We're all in um, that. Yeah, I met Dan one night at a bar. I didn't think I'd you know see him again. He goes to Miami, whatever, end up partnering on a business and now we were roommates so yeah, and i gotta live with the guy <laughs> big mistake should have stayed tough in life should have known that night that he was stuck stuck with <laughs> yeah. me so yeah and then list kit uh which is the SaaS. so again like a uh, agency business coaching program and SaaS. those are like the three business models that i feel like everyone in our space has one or the other we have all three uh it took us a while to get here it didn't happen overnight which we'll talk more about and so the first question I want to start with, uh, and I guess we'll just start with Dan and then go to Christian and then I'll answer it last, is just tell everyone what's your role in each of the businesses? What does your day-to-day -day look like? Yeah, so my role for all three is pretty straightforward. It's just sales. So for KnowledgeX, I still take all the calls. Basically, my sole goal is, hey, these guys do a great job of driving interest, either online or through our own cold email campaigns. My job is whenever somebody books in a call, just doing my best I can to actually get them to close and become a new client. Really not involved on the client side at all at this point, um, but still very much a closer there. At Client Ascension, I've become much more of a manager, which is interesting. I feel like I'm naturally better at the closing aspect. So this year in particular has been a lot of growing pains and just learning how to manage people, learning how to motivate people, how to be more of a numbers guys, and you know just have like all the backend operations set up, which is really more so... Andre's strong suit. So they're much more of a team leader. We have five closers at this point, two setters, actually just brought on a third. So doing a lot more hiring and all that good stuff, but still just focus on the sales function. And then with ListKit, every now and then somebody will book in a demo, expecting a lot more once the SaaS officially launches, uh, but a lot more customer support, not really so much of a sales role at that company. Um, unless it's somebody who's going to be an enterprise client, then I'll follow up with them pretty heavily and try to get them back on the phone if they express any interest. So yeah, pretty much all three just sales. And yep. how do you get started in sales? So I feel like we mentioned this on a couple episodes, but me and you used to work at a call center back in high school. Uh, and I feel like we had different experiences where you liked lead generation, but then it's so much like the sales yeah. aspect of it. 
I just liked the sales aspect of it and didn't really know that much about the inner workings of lead gen, which is why you're more so the operations guy. But when we started our first marketing agency, I was like, yeah, I'll take all the calls. I'll close them. I, I didn't really know. I'd never done high ticket closing before that. And I remember it was like, next call was that day. We acquired it completely cold traffic um, through Facebook ads. And I binged like a 12 hour Russell Brunson course <laughs> that day before. I was like up all night stressing. I was like, oh shit, these guys paid to acquire the lead. I can't fuck it up. And then next day it was like really, really throwing myself into the fire because these were all people completely cold audience from Facebook. Like they're telling me their personal life issues, how much debt they're in. They don't know how they got on the call. So I think the first day I was pretty discouraged because it was like three, four calls, didn't close any of them. These people were from all over the world. Almost none of them that first day had like any money <laughs> to their name. So that was why they're on the phone in the first place. They want to learn how to make more money. Second day went a lot better. I think I ended up closing two of those deals and it was at like a $5,000 ticket. And I was like, oh, okay, I can, I could do this part of sales as well. And then outside of that, I really just like working with the team, meaning you and Christian. And obviously I feel like when you're a team player, you want to focus on what you excel in. So I was like, okay, whatever these guys are doing going forward, I trust them. I'll be the sales function and just really never look back. So it's been at this point, like total sales career four or five years been doing that consistently and the high ticket closing part more like three three and a half years but yeah i mean liked it continually got better at it didn't mind it so yeah just decided to stick with it and build with you guys yep and i'm the creative director at our agency and at client ascension so my day-to-day -day is writing cold emails tweeting about cold emails helping people with their cold emails um and when we first started our agency we weren't even involved in cold email so my role was a bit more cloudy um where i was just doing like email build outs and ad copy and a bunch of random copywriting stuff um, and then when we discovered cold email as a service i dove into the intricacies of it basically learning anything i could about cold email at the time shout out alex berman on youtube and a bunch of great blogs available on google um and cold email wizard obviously uh but ever since then i've literally immerse myself in cold email pretty much every single day for the past two to three years. So if you've ever seen my tweets, you've ever been on a call with me one-on-one, -on -one, you've ever worked with me, you know that at this point, cold email is like a second language to me. Um, it's just something that I've basically done nonstop for the past three years. Um, and that's, it's a really singular focus, right? Where if you want to talk to me about email newsletter flows or ad copy or you know, writing a long form direct response sales letter. I can help you, but I can't confidently say I'm one of the best at what I do in those areas. I have a very specific avenue with copywriting and some might say that limits me, um, but I say being that specific is a benefit because it's something that I can make myself known for and I can actually provide value with to all of our clients and students. So that's my day to day. I do manage a copywriter at the agency. Um, we do a lot of work together managing client campaigns and stuff like that. And then I work with every client ascension student that comes in to help them write their cold email campaigns. And yeah, that's pretty much it for me. Um, it's a lot of fun. I love writing and helping people and helping other people make a lot of money. Um, so that's what I really love to do with the agency. I let, but you were, you were writing before that, right? Um, you've done like blogs and yeah, I used things, to write a lot of, I used to write a lot of blogs, but there's no feedback on a blog. Like I don't know how good or bad a blog is written, but with cold email, you know, if you write a good cold email, you're making money and booking sales calls and closing deals. So it's a, a direct feedback loop. So I definitely honed in on my writing with, I published a book on Amazon. I wrote blogs. I was good at writing growing up. 
but the cold email side of things has kind of helped me, you know, validate my abilities and learn more and tweak my craft yeah. and get better. So I have a good question for you too, is like, I feel like writing is a skill that you develop over a long period of time and also new life perspectives really help that skill build. Um, but like as a writer, cause I write a little bit, obviously not like cold email copy or copywriting in general, but more so like journaling and just yeah, yeah. emptying thoughts on the paper. When do you find yourself to have the best thoughts or like the most clear and concise writing? Is it in the morning or? Yeah. So night? I think the times that I'm writing best are <clears throat> after I either one get direct sunlight and I'm outside or two, I get a good workout in basically all my good thoughts come after I have a bunch of, you know, endorphins running through me and I got a good workout in and I got a sweat on. Like I do, I'm not a morning person. These guys would always wake up before me just about every single day. Cause I just hate waking up. And even if I'm up early, my work, my quality of work is not good. Um, so my best thoughts tend to come after a workout at night in the afternoon. Um, and back to your, your topic or your question on, or what you were talking about with, you know, writing good copy and getting better as a writer. I think the easiest way to get better at writing copy is just to read like a lot like read threads read nonfiction, read fiction read sales emails read old ads read anything you can get your hands on in terms of marketing and just read in general like growing up i used to binge read harry potter call me a nerd if you want but i love that shit um what a dork i probably yeah, have it's a fire it's fire i probably have a shelf 10 feet tall filled with fiction books that i read growing up percy jackson um the 39 clues or whatever it was called literally any any fiction book i can get my hands on i was obsessed with as a kid and i feel like that's something that the generation growing up is going to get to experience because all these kids are scrolling tiktok and making videos and playing video games instead of reading which i think is a, a major loss for the next generation but reading is ultimately what i think got me to being where i'm at with my level of writing i was naturally good at writing growing up um and yeah just reading as much as you can writing a bunch of copy like i feel like you have to warm up the muscle, like especially if I'm writing a long form email that I haven't written in a long time, like a sales email or like an email newsletter. The best emails that I write come after I've written three or four in a row and I've got my muscle back, right? Because I'm so used to the short form cold email copy. So when I actually open up to the long form copy, I get back in that groove and then I get back into the, the email groove when I'm writing cold emails all day. So read a lot, write a lot, put in the reps and, you know, you'll get there. So, yeah, um, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Cool. So if you're noticing a theme, basically Dan handles the sales side of the business. Christian really focuses on the lead gen side of the business. And I feel like, and you guys tell me if I'm wrong, but our biggest breakthrough in business was when we started to understand how businesses are actually meant to work, Yeah. which mm -hmm. is as a lead gen unit that funnels into a sales unit that funnels into a fulfillment yeah. unit. And uh, fun fact, I grew Andre's Twitter before mine. So we're both over 15. You're at like 30. So Dan's next. Yeah, gonna start ghostwriting for Dan and please. get him up there in followers, and we'll have a trifecta yeah, here. Please, I text him today. I'm like, bro, you gotta change your profile picture, for sure. I, yeah, I don't even know what it is at this point. But you yeah. said it's it's like the three of us. Yeah, it, right now it's just the three of us. Papa, like, you like super take away blurry the blue check for a little bit though. It's fine. Just get a just get a better profile picture. But anyway, so Christian Legion, Dan Sales. My focus primarily, as you can guess, operations and fulfillment. And so uh, similar to Christian, how he grew up reading uh, Harry Potter books and Percy Jackson books, I grew up building Legos. <laughs> and it's the way I look at building businesses is uh, a, a business. And I actually recall on a specific podcast episode we did for Real Talk with a guy named Anthony Trucks, the way he explained business to me was when I really started to get it, which was he just said business is a set of processes. Right. 
And to me, that just meant, okay, I need to build the processes or the systems, the automations, the structure, and then find the people to run it, right? Did Including you, myself. Yeah. Did you watch that back recently? No, I just... Dude, did I you? think my memory's going, dude. I got to cut the drinking or something. I remember <laughs> very certain... I have a very good memory. I can't remember uh, anything. <laughs> I, I have very good memory. So that, But I also remember things that had like a big impact on my life because right after I heard that, I actually took action and did things about it. So it wasn't just because... I remember to snip it is because of what happened after and how I recalled and tied back to it. But anyways, I heard from Anthony Trucks that business is a set of processes and that got me super interested. And I think that I'm like traditionally operations minded because growing up, I'm super organized. I'm super like clean OCD. Uh, and I was super successful building Legos and, and following instructions and stuff like that. So yeah, my responsibility in each of the businesses is operations, uh, I would say more of like a COO slash visionary yeah. role because I still bring to the table like a lot of the visionary aspects that a COO might not bring. Um, but the way I think in the day to day is very structure yeah. oriented. My question for you is how do you stay per like for me, if I have a set of things I need to get done during the day, I can bang them out. But if I sit there and I need to think about what I need to do and it's not clear what I need to do that day, it's hard for me to be productive. But I feel like for you, you kind of can operate well when there's not a sense of like a list of things you need to do. Like I need to go hire for this role. Okay. There's nothing in front of me. That's going to help me go hire a good employee. Like how do you build the systems that help you, you know, make good hires, scale a business, operate that kind of stuff. I think it starts with being in the business for a very long time. Uh, like you guys have seen this obviously since the very beginning, You're, you remember, bro, I'll never forget this. We used to work out of like an incubator in upstate New York and we used to run an agency that was like social media marketing focused. And I don't know if you remember this, but in our office, because we rented like an office for like $400 a month, we had a huge whiteboard on yeah. one side of the wall. Yeah. And basically, if you can envision this whiteboard, we had, I think, four or five clients at the time. So we had every client at the top and then it was like a T-chart and under the client, it was like a list of to do's. And I don't know if you remember, but somehow we discovered a, a tool called Trello. Yeah, which yeah. was like, holy shit, we could bring this whiteboard online yeah. and not only be able to work on it when we're at the office, but be able to work on it whenever. And, and show the client that you're working on And show on the it. client yeah. and invite team members from overseas and stuff like that. So that was like a huge breakthrough. And so I think for me, it was just a compounding of experiences and, and being in the business. Uh, and I think the way to be good at operations and like hiring for a role, like you mentioned specifically, is knowing... What does that role actually consist of? Not what do you have to show? Because if the biggest thing people struggle with early on as entrepreneurs is hiring because they struggle putting themselves in like an employee's mindset, right? Like tomorrow, an employee needs to know when they wake up exactly what's expected of them and exactly what to do. An entrepreneur, that's a dream. That's never going to happen. Like Gary Vee, he's, he's known for saying that he's the chief firefighter of his companies because he wakes up and he fights fires that he doesn't expect to happen. And so when you're hiring, you need to put yourself in the employee mindset of how do I structure a role so that they know exactly what's expected of them and exactly how to do it. And that doesn't happen if you haven't actually performed the role yourself yeah. or at least talk to people that have performed the role. Right. I mean, does that make sense? Yeah. hundred percent. And so, yeah, I just think it's, it's the way of thinking too. But for me, I just find shit to do. I mean, I, I get Slack messages all the time. And that's where I think the visionary aspect of what I mentioned comes into play. Because I like almost future solve problems that I know are going to happen. Because uh, 
one of the things we learned from Cole Gordon is as soon as you solve a problem in your business, a new problem is created somewhere. Yeah. It's not always clear right away, but there is a problem somewhere that you're eventually going to have to solve. And so I'll always have a job because of that. You sure, bro? AI is coming. <laughs> Dude, right before we started recording this, uh, ChatGPT4 released today, and it's it's wild. Like, now you can put images and, and have, like, just such a higher scale of possibilities. I think I sent you guys a tweet where this guy, on a demo of the ChatGPT4, drew a sketch on his notebook of what he wanted his website to look like. And in real time, ChatGPT4 coded the website to look exactly like the sketch on a notebook. Insane. Like that's crazy. So that's more, uh, you know, newsworthy, but anyways, okay. I think we covered that topic. Uh, I, one of the questions that I get all the time that I'm super interested to hear your guys' perspective on is how do you manage responsibilities of multiple businesses and not just multiple businesses, but completely different business models, right? We run an agency, we run a coaching program and we run a SaaS all of which sell and serve different types of people. So how do you manage that? Neuromints. <laughs> <clears throat> Honestly, like Google Calendar is my Bible. Like every single hour of my day is pretty much mapped out the night before. So it's a little weird to switch gears a little bit. Like if you're going from client essential work to knowledge X work to list get work, like my least productive days are when I'm actually jumping from each one to each one without any real rhyme or reason behind it. But I'll try to like schedule in a coffee break, schedule in lunch, schedule in a workout if I have to, and just do time blocking. So like for an hour and a half, I'm only working on client ascension, I'm watching a call review of a closer. And then I know once the clock hits 11.15, I've got a call at 11.30 for KnowledgeX. So I need to like decompress a little bit. We'll just do some CRM work in between then and switch. But I guess the easiest way for me to switch gears and do it consistently is just to be super, super diligent about the time blocking and like get all of the guesswork out of the way the night before when yeah. I'm actually mapping out my following day. But that's really the only thing for there. And it's not too drastically different just because it's all sales. So it's either like quality control with the team, I'm on sales calls, or I'm following up with people who I wasn't on a sales Ooh, call. Ooh, that's with. a good question, so. actually. How has your day-to-day -day changed since or going from taking a majority of the sales calls yourself to managing a team that takes a majority of the calls. Yeah, you just have to protect your time even a little bit more. Because if you don't like physically block out time. Because it's not going to be blocked control, out by calendly sales calls. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, calls will book in if I don't do that. So it's just become more and more important. Like for 3 to 3.30 every day, I have CRM work on my calendar. Now a lot of like two days a week at least, I'll block off like two hours for call recordings. Honestly, like this has been a big struggle of mine because before I was kind of just like hiring and then letting the salespeople run free. Now I'm a lot more diligent on like actually watching the calls, talking to them, hitting them up in the DMs and doing a lot more coaching, which is good. But yeah, that was really what prompted me to become way more dedicated to having the whole day mapped out in advance because for the first couple months, I was honestly a terrible manager. Yeah. Like I was just like only checking in when people would ask me a question first and it just wasn't, a, I wasn't being proactive at all with it. So definitely a struggle, but just went back to better time management skills. Bro, yeah. realizing you have to block off your calendar is uh, something that I, I, I learned the hard way. So yeah. Remember one time I had a haircut for like 1230 on a Tuesday and I'm like, all right, it was in my mind that I had a haircut that day, but my calendar was wide open and we had an onboarding call with a client. I was like, 
well, shit. Christian's right. in like the chair getting his haircut. He's <laughs> yeah, like, so here's the scripts. The- <laughs> no, yeah, but as soon as I get a get a haircut now, I, I go right to my Google Calendar and block that off because learned the hard way with that. Um, but my day to day, so eight to ten morning routine. You know, cold shower, run two miles, <laughs> scream out my window. Now you sure, bro? <laughs> I don't see you on my runs. Yeah, because I'm way this ahead. Guy's of you. A liar. I'm way ahead of you, bro. Um, I'm just um, Actually, my I, fastest I, run was when we settled yeah, down in Portugal. Mile of all time was with me. So. <laughs> we touched down in Portugal after like 24 hours of travel, and we just hit the streets and ran. And that was my fastest run yet. But go ahead. Give me up for your next mile. I'll do it with you. Um, but now my routine, pretty much knowledge X. Our agency is pretty systemized at this point. Where I, if we don't have a client onboarding call, I'll check out the campaign dashboard and see what clients need new scripts, either audited or shipped off for launch. And I'll pretty much delegate that to my copywriter, Niall. Um, and if that's all done, I'll move over to Client Ascension, where it's very not structured. And I'll just play whack-a-mole all day, just answering DMs, answering messages, checking in with the community, checking in with the team. Um, and then, of course, fires always come up at Knowledge X at the agency that I have to put out and update scripts and work with clients. Um, so honestly, it is pretty tough managing you know, a handful of businesses. It's hard to give all of them the proper attention in a day. Where sometimes I look back and I'm like, well, I didn't touch this business at all today when I should have put more time into it. Um, So definitely just being more proactive. And I think systems are the biggest way to manage that, right? Because if KnowledgeX didn't have that campaign dashboard, I would be scrambling all day to see what I had to do. And, you know, now if I only need to put in 30 to an hour, you know, 30 minutes to an hour of work on KnowledgeX, I can do that and not feel guilty that I'm missing out on something that I didn't do. Um, Because if I'm up to date on all my campaigns, I'm pretty much set on that side. and then at Client Ascension, once again, whack-a-mole, that happens all day, every day. And then on the, I, I think outside of the internal businesses, a big portion of what I do is just posting Twitter content, making YouTube videos, putting together guides. Um, so if I have some free time, typically at night, I'll, I'll bang out a YouTube video or, or put together a really nice Google Doc guide that I'll give away on Twitter, which I know a lot of you hate, but get over <laughs> it. It's a great way to grow. So, um, yeah, you can... Uh, yeah, same question for you. I think something super interesting here is we've been in business for three years now. Yeah. And one of the more recent transitions all of us have made in our own, you know, niches of the businesses is going from actually doing the work to finding someone to do it for yeah, us. Yeah. And you call it management, I call it leadership. I think that's really the key here. It's fine. <laughs> You'll learn. Um, <laughs> no, but like so Christian, same question for you. What's the difference between writing scripts for a client? <clears throat> And having someone now on our team that writes the scripts for the client. I think the biggest thing for me is just giving up creative control, um, which I struggle with. So when we first hired on our copywriter, he would give me scripts. And instead of like giving him feedback, I would just change it to what I wanted them to be and then ship them off. And that's not a great way to teach your employees. Um, So now I'm getting really good at instead of, you know, making my edits on my own, just going back and forth with him constantly. Like, hey, man, you know, this angle here, because with copywriting... uh, it's all subjective, right? Like there's no right or wrong answer. It's not like deal, close deal, right? Like you close the deal or not, you followed up with the lead enough times. It's like writing words on paper. It can go a million different ways and there's no right or wrong answer. So I think just kind of teaching Niall, my, you know, the copywriter at our agency, how I would go about doing it to try to mold his thinking around how I think, right? Because I can't really teach him if he's doing his own framework. So I think by teaching him the way I think and just constantly you know, over and over and over again, giving him the reps that I mentioned earlier, right? Where you have to put in reps every single day if you want to become good at copywriting, in my opinion. Um, So just teaching him instead of doing it myself, being like, hey man, read back 
angle 1A here and tell me what you think is wrong with it or what can be improved. And he'll be like, oh, I didn't even notice that. Thank you, bro. And then he'll go in and change it. And I'm, it's just constantly, um, you know, an iterative process with copywriting, right? Because you could teach someone how to set up a zap system and they're good forever on that. You could teach someone how to set up a cold email campaign and they're good forever on it once you show them once. But with copywriting, it's not really a right or wrong answer. It's a bit of a gray area. So I think even me teaching someone else how to do it is helping me become better at, you know, being become a better copywriter. Because if I can explain it to someone in a very basic structure, then that means, you know, I know what I'm doing. Um, yeah. So definitely an interesting process for sure. Yeah, 100%. I guess my answer to the uh, initial question of how do I manage responsibilities with three different businesses, uh, I think the number one secret, and let me know if you guys agree with this or not, is the fact that all three businesses are pretty much complementary, right? Yeah, yeah. Like the agency does done for you lead generation. The coaching program teaches others how to do lead generation. And the SaaS is a tool for people who do lead generation. Yeah. And so... I think a lot of it is just really understanding the businesses that you're running. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, we, we took on a project with an agency. I'm not going to mention, you know, names specifically or anything that was way out of our wheelhouse. And we had a lot of uh, success with agencies. So we figured, yeah, we, we know what to do. We could come in and figure out lead gen. We'll figure out sales and we'll, f we'll figure out fulfillment. Um, and it didn't work out that way. Uh, and, it, and it was uh, right now, as of right now, a failure. We could definitely turn it around. But... I think the secret with running multiple businesses is ask yourself the question, like, is this actually going to complement what I'm already doing? Yeah. Or is this going to open up the potential to take over more of the market I'm already in? Uh, and so that's how I think of it. And then structurally, like on a day to day, I think what you said is, is great. In the beginning, I'd kind of be very sporadic and try to go from one business to the next without any thought process behind it. And again, going back to what you said is it's all about time blocking. And so, for certain hours of the day, I'm working at a specific business. So the other businesses don't get the attention. If I'm thinking of all three businesses at once, I'm gonna drive myself nuts and I'm not gonna be productive at all. And so I think it's all about time blocking. And then with ListKit, it's super interesting. Uh, we, we're building a SaaS called ListKit. And right now, or the way it started uh, about a year and a half ago in July of 2021, uh, it was a service and it's still a service. It's kind of winded down because we've put all of our time and energy into the service or to the SaaS development. And so that hasn't required much of our time. And so I think once the SaaS launches, it'll be a little bit more difficult for us to allocate time. Yeah. But it's just the seasonality of businesses in general, right? Like Knowledge X, if you guys remember, like this time last year, we were signing like 20 clients a month. Recently, this month, and this year, we've probably toned that down to five to 10 clients. And obviously, our service changed, our pricing changed. But I would say, like, if you asked me this question last year, KnowledgeX was probably 90%, yep. client ascension maybe 10. And now it's maybe even the opposite. And so things change, and you just have to be able to adjust on the fly. I feel like you got to know your limits, too. Yeah. Like, with things that come naturally to you, you can just kind of dive in. But, like, sales management, for me, didn't come super naturally. So we paid for consulting software development like we went through a lot of money <laughs> yeah. doing things the wrong way had to start over from scratch but we brought on a co-founder who understands how softwares work he's been involved in different projects before he understands how to speak to developers yeah so we brought him in so you also have to understand and kind of like work that muscle of knowing when you don't know finding that right person bringing them in 
Yeah. I think like that's the only way to do it effectively. You can't be right. like, okay, I'm Superman. I'm going to do everything for every business. And I'm just going to figure it out. Like, yeah. that's literally not possible. Dude, I can't wait to tell the full story about ListKit. Yeah, like, what we've been through for the last year and a half is just an absolute roller coaster. Uh, and I know, like, people that are familiar with ListKit and the roadmap and the expectations we set about launching the SaaS probably a year ago. I think we actually started development last January. So it's been over a year since we've officially started work on the SaaS. Uh, we've put over $100,000 of our own money, self-funded, completely bootstrapped into the project. And man, we've faced so much adversity with this business. And so I, I really just can't wait. To, we should probably do a whole members launch episode when we launch yeah, and, yeah. or maybe even after we sell the company at some point in the <laughs> future. Because that's going to be a cool story to tell. Members um, launch in Vegas. Yeah, yeah. it's going to be... <laughs> I'm super excited about yeah. that one too. Yeah. Because the product is just so good now. It's so it's, good. It's yeah. so good. And that's like part of my personality and even all of us in general is like we really want to put out good services and products. And so that's why we haven't put it out for the longest time because it's just not good yet. But it will be Super when we put it out. That, yeah. um, one thing I want to say too, I heard Alex Hormozzi talk about this on a podcast and I think I heard it from both of you guys in different uh, wordings is instead of doing your best, do what's, do what's required. And I think like when you're running three businesses, you have to understand there's three separate responsibilities the three separate teams, three separate types of customers. And at the end of the day, as business owners, we're responsible for those people. And even though we did our best, it's not always what's required. And so putting in the extra hours, uh, sacrificing, doing other things in your personal life to prioritize this business, like we've all made those sacrifices and we've yeah. all, experience the opposite flip side of that as well i have an interesting uh <laughs> yeah go ahead little question here what what's like a non-negotiable for you during the week outside of work like for me it's going to the gym i have to go just to clear my head get a workout in non-negotiable well for me it's obvious running a mile a day yeah um going to church uh i also like to read every day i, I make sure that i talk to family every day um but one thing that i also I actually learned from you christian is Thinking this can't be good. Okay. <laughs> what did you say? I said this can't be good. No. Uh, uh, yeah. Thinking, most yeah. of the time it's not. If it's not good, I probably wouldn't mention it on this <laughs> podcast. Um, but thinking. So yeah. making time to think. When you run three businesses, you guys probably feel this during the middle of the day. It's it's very chaotic. Yeah. And there's almost no time to be with your own thoughts. And when you are with your own thoughts and you have time to process everything, that's when the best ideas come. And so like me. A non-negotiable recently is going on walks yeah. at night yep. when everything's shut down. I'm not with my phone. I'm not with anyone. Not listening to music, podcasts. I'm just thinking, and I'm moving. And Milet talks yeah. about this all the time. When you're moving, things start to happen. I don't know what it is, like the physical chemistry in your body. Like when you're What's walking, this, that, that's how I walk. <laughs> you're on the elliptical. Like, no, nah. but like when you're moving, there's something that happens yeah, yeah. in your body that sparks creation. Well, yeah, so. yeah. endorphins, right? I don't know. Yeah, my non-negotiable is pretty much same thing. You're what? Non-negotiables. <laughs> Say it again. I said that. <laughs> I'm done. Um, call my mom at least once a day. Work out every day during the you week. Out, bro. And then the last one is have lunch, which okay. sounds very basic, <laughs> but there was a stretch from like when we first moved down to Tampa from January like first to like into the summer and I was like damn you guys are always cooking lunch like how do you guys have time they're like bro just block off an hour for lunch <laughs> I hadn't done that for like six months so it was just the weirdest eating schedule but yeah definitely a need my bacon right egg there. and cheese sandwich every day it's the best I love I think the coolest part about 
I don't know if it's like resetting your dopamine or whatever, but just waking up and you're like, yo, I get to have my morning coffee or like, dude, I get to make my lunch. Dude. Like if you can get excited, I think I read a tweet from like Seb Gorgie one time. It's like, I get excited about my morning oatmeal. I'm like, yeah, dude, waking up. I'm like, I get to go get my coffee. I'm going to take a walk, get my coffee, start my day right. Um, I think if you can look forward to the little things, like we're going to get dinner after this, I'm pumped. Maybe get some tiramisu, who knows? Yo, actually, can you text Daniel and let him know we're not going to make dinner? Because it's like, what? It's almost 7.30. We'll reschedule. We'll go somewhere else. Just tell him (laughs) that we're not going to make the reservation at 7.30. Um, (laughs) All right, well, that just ruined my night. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. But even, yo, you can make that about work stuff, too. Like, I get excited when I get to meet with you guys or when I get to meet with a client or do a student success interview with someone in client ascension. Like, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. I think shooting YouTube videos is that for me because I can just be myself on camera. I don't know how to explain it. Oh, dude, I actually said this. On, I was on a guest coaching call for some other community today, and, like, I was just super excited. And they were like, oh, thanks for coming on. I'm like, thank you, guys. Like, there's something about being able to answer questions. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, when you get a yeah. question, you're like, oh, dude, like, I actually can give you a really good answer to this. Yep. Like, actually being in a position to help people is one of the coolest feelings. Yeah, I agree. 100%. So, all right, enough about business. Let's have some fun. I have, like, five different topics on here that I eventually want to cover. Um, I think we spent enough time on business, at least for this episode. We'll come back to it, I'm sure, with some of these questions. So, uh, another thing, <clears throat> recently, uh, like Christian mentioned, we were all in upstate New York going to school uh, at Binghamton University, and we all had a goal after graduating to move out. And Florida was number one on the list, for sure. We didn't know where exactly in Florida we wanted to move to, um, but we ended up choosing Tampa. And I feel like for the first year after moving, we got that question from literally everyone. Why'd you why'd choose, you choose Tampa? Tampa? Why not Miami? Why not Miami? And so I want to ask you guys, why'd you choose Tampa? But even more to that, um, what has been your experience in Tampa basically a year into the yeah. journey so far? For me? Um, the Kid reason- loves Tampa. Uh, dude, I'm a big <laughs> I'm a Tampa, Tampa evangelist. No, the reason I think... Personally, I think we decided we wanted to do a state with no income tax, which was te- like Texas or Florida, right? Growing up, the big thing was, oh, you get to go on vacation to Florida, like you're going to Disney, right? Um, so we came down to visit Tampa. For me personally, it was like Tampa or Miami because I want to be near the ocean, right? Like Jacksonville, not no offense if you're from Jacksonville, but not the most desirable city. Orlando, landlocked, you know, big tourism city, not much going on there. Tampa or Miami, right? And a lot of people love Miami, you know, rightfully so. It's a great time to go out and have fun. I have zero self-control, so it's not for me. <laughs> but, um, yeah, Miami for me, it's just like I was – when we visited Tampa, I hadn't actually been to Miami. But when we came here, I just love the city, right? It's very – it's a – I like to describe it as the most I, – I call it the cleanest city in America, right? There's not a lot of crime. There's not a lot of homeless traffic, pollution. Like, it's a very clean city. You feel like you can breathe here. There's not, like, overwhelming traffic and horns and New York City vibes in Tampa. So as soon as we visited here, I personally loved it, right? All the apartments here are super nice. Um, it is expensive, but it's not Miami expensive. So you're saving money on rent, cost of living, all that good stuff. So personally, as soon as we moved to Tampa, um, I saw all I needed to see. And then my experience living here, kind of what you said. Yeah. I think just finding little pockets of Tampa that you can, you know, become a regular at and, or that I've become a regular at personally, this cigar bar, right? I'm here three, four times a week. Working, smoking cigars, drinking wine, um, hanging out with friends. You know, going to the beach once in a while is a great time. It's like 40 minutes to the, some of the nicest beaches in the country. You can just go have a day trip there, enjoy the sun, um, you know, enjoy some some 
some activities in the night time on the weekends with your friends that are always a good time um going out having a couple drinks so i love tampa i want to be here you know long term i think it's growing it is growing you know every single day with new development and new people moving here so can't recommend it enough i think we've persuaded how many people to move here like quite a few scott parker daniel came back um cameron's moving here cam tarbell's moving here so it's growing all the time we've met a lot of great business friends here we met a lot you know met a lot of non-business friends here through our building that we live in and stuff like that um so yeah i i love it i'm gonna you know, probably grow to love it even more and don't regret it one bit so yeah it's a cool city i feel like for the first six months that's all it was really just kind of like a cool city like there's fun place to go out if you're a little bit younger a little bit more mature vibes i got those places too but for the first six months it wasn't like okay i'm definitely staying here long term yeah and I feel like that's because we were just basically all hanging out with each other and only each other. But through business, things like this, meeting people at the Scar Bar, just in our apartment complex, once I got friends, no offense to you guys, like outside of you guys God, that dude. I could hang out with, it started to feel like more of a home. Yeah. So at this point, I'm in the same boat as Christian. Like, I love it here. I want to be here long term. And I think that just building the local network made it super fun. Because moving down here originally, I was of the mindset like, okay, maybe I'll do a year and tampa and then hop over to miami for a year then maybe like scottsdale maybe austin and then i guess like towards the tail end of that first year i was like it doesn't really make sense because the longer you stay in one place the stronger the network gets yeah, yeah. yeah. and there's more people coming in here every day i think the thing the city's from, growing the so thing for like, me was every single time i leave tampa for a vacation i always want to come back want to go back yeah. and as soon as i get back i'm like oh i'm back dude and talk about like the little things again i mean there's nothing better than moving from up north i mean like I can just go outside and take. I think they taking just, a walk after yeah. dinner. It's there was crazy. like a foot of snow in New York that came down last night, so people are snowed in. That's yeah. That's yeah just being able to wake up and just walk outside and not be. I thought you were about to say wake up and win. I was about to cancel you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's being able to wake up, walk outside, and not be freezing like rushing to your car. Ah, oh, it's a great feeling. Yeah, yeah. I think for me, it's definitely a lot of what Christian said is Tampa. I guess in comparison to Miami. In New York City, it's a much cleaner city. It's a much quieter city. Yeah. It's a much less haram city compared to some of these places, right? Uh, um, yeah. I, don't I know. mean, bro. We don't have a boat, so we don't know fully. But it's very conservative. It would be more haram. Uh, it's very conservative. I love the politics here. Um, it's not working. And yeah, it's, I mean, for my type of vibe is is more quiet, uh, but everyone has the there dog in them as well. And so I what like do you mean to go by out. That? I like to go out. I like to party. I like to have a good time. And there's dude, you, you're the most interesting. You have the most interesting dichotomy with going out, where I feel like you never premeditate it, and we're always like, me and Dan are like planning out tape a table for the weekend, and you're just like, oh, I'm not going. And then it's like Friday night hits. You're yeah, like, bro, oh, I got go. three businesses to run. You think I'm planning <laughs> that nah, shit midweek? <laughs> Come on, that's nah, whatever family comes into town, dude. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so <laughs> that's what I want to talk about. comes too. into town, Andre turns into a DJ. And so my mindset around Tampa is Tampa's great, but Tampa's just a place. And so I don't really have any opinion on whether or not I'll be here long term. Like, I love it here, 100%, but I also love to travel. And yeah. last year was very eye-opening. I feel like us collectively went to somewhere new every single month, which is great. And I love that lifestyle. Always, no matter where I live, even if it's quote-unquote paradise, which I think a lot of people, including myself, see Tampa as, it's got a lot of those traits. I still love having something to look forward to, whether it be somewhere to go yeah. or an experience to have. Yeah, yeah. 
And even so, if you live here, you're not trapped here. That 100%. And so I don't think Tampa necessarily needs to be a home base. I, I feel like for me, where I'm going with this is like my home base is wherever family is. Like I'm always going to be around family yeah. or I'm always going to go back to family. And people who've followed me or listened to this show at all, I mean, we just had my grandpa on. You guys know like how important family is to me and I could talk about that more. But wherever family is is really where my home is. And so Tampa is just a place. I love it here. But I want to travel. Uh and yeah, I mean, Tampa's not a bad place to have a home base at all. I think the fact that all of us are here, and like you said, we're kind of building compound interest in a place like this with our networks and just social credibility. We're grandfathered in at the cheapest price of the members' yeah. lounge, bro. I've also kind of established myself as the wolf of Water Street, so I kind of got to keep that going. No. Nobody's ever Definitely called that. <laughs> <laughs> I've kind of called myself that. Oh, okay, so that leads to the next question, which is super interesting, uh, is how do you balance... Because you mentioned Christian, Miami, and New York City, Boston, some of these in L.A. Like these places are more expensive uh, to live, especially L.A., Boston, New York because taxes, right? Yeah. Um, but Miami, rent in general, is more expensive. But where we live in Tampa is still pretty expensive. And so what is your guys' take on balancing paying high rent while also traveling and, and yeah, traveling? Make more money. Yeah. I, I place such a high value on experiences that if there's a trip coming up and with the lifestyle we've created for ourselves where we don't need to be in a location to work and be productive, if I get invited on a trip, I'm saying yes nine times out of ten, unless it's like... He's not joking. Unless there, it's like, I don't... Like, I was going to say today, that there was like two or three things that came up and like, this guy does not say no. Yeah, no. I'm down. Dude, I'm down. This guy is always down. Unless it's a $5,000 yacht trip in Croatia. I'm not that rich, so I'm out. But. <laughs> Brokey. <laughs> pretty much Go yeah ahead. yeah um if if there's an opportunity for me to travel like my aunt lives in costa rica my sister and my cousin were like you want to come with us we're going for a week we're gonna zip line and go to the beach and go through the national park and you know hang out with like monkeys and parrots and i'm like <laughs> i'm down like yeah sign me up it's like you know how much do i have to venmo you guys to go so guys an easy sell easy sell um like andre said you know if, if i don't have a new trip planned in the near future, like one or two months out, I get really bored and feel like I'm stuck in the same place. So I need to have something to look forward to. And, you know, you're only young once. You want to see as much as the, of the world as you can. Um, and then balancing it with high rent, I think there's a big ROI in having a nice place to live and being surrounded by wealth and luxury and all this stuff is a really big motivational factor. Like, you know, seeing a dude in, you know, three different Lamborghinis and 20 different G-Wagons in your garage. You're like, I'm broke as shit. I need to work harder. Whereas if I was a... Uh, yeah, bro, you like my cars? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, they're <laughs> all just parking them for you. But um, if I'm in a, you know, apartment complex where every car is a hoopty and it's like a Honda Civic that's like 160,000 miles, I'm like, oh, man, I'm, I'm doing pretty well, you know? These guys are all driving Honda Civics. But when you place yourself amongst a lot of wealth and success, you really feel like, number one... You got to keep fucking moving it because you're not at their level yet and you got a lot of work to do. But two, it's possible, right? Like if that many people just in your building can afford that kind of car, um, maybe they're not making the best financial decisions, but they have the means to afford that car, um, then why can't you as well? So. Yeah, the money's out there. I feel like we probably end up traveling at least once a month. Yeah. And I travel pretty cost effectively. I was like, going to say, we travel smart. Yeah, yeah. Like I've been out of state or not out of state actually. <laughs> But like away Across from Tampa, the state. yeah, away from Tampa every time, at least once a month, minimum next month, going over to Austin, probably go back over to Miami for a little bit for the UFC fights, which would be fun. Um, 
But I feel like that's enough for me. Like I love the lifestyle I'm living right now because after taking a trip at least once a month, I like being back in a routine for at least like two, three weeks at a time. And I feel like if I'm traveling too much, if it's like three, four times a month at that yeah, point, yeah. I'm like, okay, I need to just go back and, and lock in for a little bit. Yep. But the cool part about all this is like whenever we take a trip somewhere, we know someone in that city. That's almost what I was going to say. Like, you went to LA or California and you just stayed with friends, right? Yeah. Uh, shout out Diego and Tyler, the homies, some of my best friends. Um, I went out to Orange County and they let me crash on their couch. So, you know, you pay for a flight and you don't have to cover any hotel expenses. Um, then I traveled to Sacramento, stayed with my grandpa. Once again, no, you know, cost of living there. You didn't pay him? That's messed up. No, I, I paid him in quality time and <laughs> taking him out to dinner, man. He just wanted to see his grandson, you know. Um, and then I went out to San Francisco, met up with a couple Twitter homies, got lunch with them. And then, yeah, it was a great trip. So pretty much any city we go to, like we went to Lisbon and met up with who Connor, David, Jan, yeah, Oliver. So. I think it's really cool. That you Bro, it is so crazy, like, just... having a personal brand online and having, like, a big network. <laughs> we were at the gym one day in Orange County, and I put out a tweet. I'm like, I'm getting, you know, who's in Orange County, California? Some random guy that followed me on Twitter that I've never met with an Anon profile picture was like, oh, dude, you're in Orange County? Let's get a workout in. Like, I, I invited him to the gym that Diego was, belongs to, and I could have invited like a complete weirdo to show up and get a workout in with me. And it was like actually a really cool guy, personal trains for a living. That's cool. Um, and he kicked the shit out of me for 30 minutes and it was a great time. And yeah, just all through Twitter network. So it's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Like I remember uh, last year there was like this crazy hurricane that was supposed to hit Tampa. And so we had to book it to Vegas uh, and we had a pit stop in like hurricane city or what was it called? Huracan. Just Huracan. Utah, funny Utah, enough, Utah, yeah. Huracan, <laughs> while there was a hurricane. Um, but, like, middle of nowhere in Utah, and I just put it out on Twitter, like, as a joke, and, like, three people hit my DMs. They're like, yo, Bro, you're in Huracan? I went to Charleston, South Carolina, and I had coffee with one dude, and I got <laughs> breakfast with a client at the time. Like, yeah. every single place we go, we meet somebody that we know from online, and everyone's like, that's so weird. You guys bond with people that you know on the internet, and it's like, yeah, I don't know how else to explain it. It's like, how else are you going to meet friends? Like, yeah, well, people, but, don't, people off Twitter don't get it, where it's like, yeah. But, like, think about in real life, when you, how do you meet a friend? Like, you don't know them before, right? Like, yeah, but it's usually organic, not, like, premeditated. Yeah, going I guess that's out. true. Yeah. But I feel like every experience we've had with meeting someone online has been pretty positive. Yeah, yeah 100%. Yeah. So, pretty I don't much. know. I just think it's a cool feature with, like, social media being able to give us that reach to people all over the world. Yeah, my family is always mad sketched about it. Like, we go to Portugal, and we're with, like, 13 people the next night that we know from the internet. It's like, how in this one place in the world that we've never been to, do you know 13 people to get together and have dinner with? That are like, all running businesses, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's crazy how many. So I guess it's a, a sign for you guys in the audience, if you don't have a lot of friends or if you don't belong to a, you know, a wide network, like get on social media and just start talking to people. Watch my cold DM video on how to make grow your network. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's cool. Moving to Tampa. Uh, I want to move on to... The next topic, do um, you guys want to talk about sports or uh, the SVB situation next? Good for whatever. Let's do SVB. All right. So if you're listening to this podcast uh, recently, depending on when this goes out, I'm not sure how recent, but I'm sure it'll still be relevant when you, you're listening to this now. Uh, there is a recent happening in the united states with svb or silicon valley bank that essentially 
went out of business, right? Yeah, there was a run on the bank. There was a run on the bank, which yeah. I think the last time that happened was in the Great Depression. Or yeah, this Lehman was the second Brothers. biggest run on the bank. This was the second since then. There used to since be, then. like in the 20s, there were hundreds of bank runs, which is why they came out with the FDIC and all these policies yeah, yeah. to prevent that from happening. Yeah. Imagine if there was no FDIC. Well, I mean, they can, can talk about it. There, there may not be in a couple months. I was going to say, the FDIC doesn't have much funding to begin with, so we could talk about that. <sighs> Don't uh, say that. I mean, we could talk about that. Or they could just turn the money printers on. It doesn't matter anyways but okay so that happened and obviously a lot of people's attention are on this and they're asking you know how is this going to affect me or what's going to happen from here we're not going to be able to tell you the answer to that but i'm interested to get your guys thoughts on it because i think that happened on friday and it was a pretty big surprise oh yeah i don't think anyone expected it except maybe someone like peter Thiel that was like actually involved <laughs> behind the yeah. scenes right uh, so for guys like us, that really came out of nowhere. And then over the weekend, even the question was, are they going to get bailed out? Which obviously, like, hopefully, because there's a lot they of... Did. They did. Yeah, they are going but to. But remember, like, on Sunday morning, Janet Yellen came out and she was like, yeah, we're not going to bail them out. Yeah. I thought they actually handled it well. Because in, like, 2008, the main fuck-up, for lack of a better term, was that they also bailed out all the people associated with the bank. So even though they were committing malpractice if you want to put it that way yeah all the higher-ups at the banks still got insured still got compensated and this one they're kind of letting the people who run svb sink with the shit which i think is good because they're way over leveraged and they're protecting the, like, the, they're just protecting the actual depositors depositors yeah yeah, yeah. so i think super they did interesting a, wait what ca what caused the domino effect though like why did it crash so wednesday they put out a statement that they were needing to raise emergency capital and Steady there's lads. a few things that led to that point. One is just rapidly rising interest rates, which messed up the long maturity bonds that mm. they had. And they were just way over leveraged on these assets that they couldn't liquidate fast enough. Mm. And they're also overexposed to the VC, venture market right? as a whole, yeah, just because yeah. that's where everybody banks with. And a lot of people there were also taking out venture debt, which if you want to Google that, look into it, doesn't seem like the smartest practice, but these guys have been involved in a bull run. For the past 15 years so anyways yeah. writing on the wall kind of seemed like okay these guys aren't nearly liquid enough to handle their book of business and i think something like almost every single depositor there because their businesses were way over the fdic insured limit so once they put that out a lot of people like peter Thiel, who were smart enough to get out kind of started ringing the alarm bells and they were like okay let's get all of our money out of here too many people did it at once which caused a bank run they just ran out of funds i think this can't <laughs> Dude, I think the scary part is if, like, any bank in the world had that instance happen, it would be fucked. Like, what if a, your local credit union, Susie and Tom and Sam, all got scared and, like, raised a community meeting, like, let's take so our that's, money that's out. That's so that's happening in regional right banks. Yeah. That's the scare is the ripple effect. Next, and then I think it was, like, 20 or something regional Regional banks. banks. Yeah. yeah. So exactly like you're saying, like, mom and pop banks, this happening because there's a ripple effect. So what the fuck are you supposed to do with your money? So Put on our pillow. Yeah. Yeah, so that's the interesting question, right, that I feel like everyone's asking now is, and I've talked to a lot of people about this, is like, as young entrepreneurs and business owners, like, what does this mean for me? And not only that, where do I put my money? Because in the super interesting thing is the stock market is like up. Yeah. Which makes no sense. It's because the CPI did, did better than expected this morning. Yeah, but it's still 6%. But it's better. Like inflation is still rising pretty rapidly. True. So, like, that's super interesting, and I don't think that's why the market is up. 
I don't know why the market is up, actually. It's super surprising. After, one, like, the biggest bank run since the Great Depression and the markets rise, I, don't, I personally don't understand it. I could be missing something. Honestly, it could just be the government pumping stocks again, like yeah, they did yeah. to avoid mass panic. Because the only thing that's keeping a massive <clears throat> bank run and the FDIC from kind of collapsing because they really don't have that much liquidity or having to, like, print, you know, billions of more dollars is kind of the public not pulling all of their money out. Bro, yeah. how can we just get like 1% of the printer, bro? That's all we need. But that's so the interesting too. Like they can create it's called They the can create 10 board. billion out of thin air and if you capture 10 million of that, you're set for life. Like what the fuck? Yeah. The interesting I feel so thing stupid. with the with the uh, like the backstop, right? Is that they they came out and they said that taxpayers aren't going to pay the price for this. Yeah. But where are they going to get the backstop? I feel like they're going to get it by increasing taxes. Mm. Well, no, I, I think they're just taking a bet, and I don't know if it's a smart bet, that them insuring all the depositors is going to stop mass panic. So it's going to be good. It's going to be kind of hanging on by a thread. And over time, they think that they'll make money on it. Because if you look at all the money that they pumped into the banks in 2008, the U.S. government made billions of dollars on yeah. it. Like they yeah. profited a lot from that. So they're hoping that if there's no mass panic because they did the right thing and insured all these depositors at SVB, People will stay put for long enough, and since the government ended up bailing them out, they'll make money in time from those banks. I don't know if they'll grab equity from the startups that are involved there, because SVB had equity in a bunch of those little startups. Um, but I think that's what they're hoping on. Now, if there's mass panic, they're kind of we're, we're kind of shit out of luck. They're further in the hole, right? Like, yeah, yeah. And you have to print money, and I don't know. You can't just keep printing money unless you get money from another source. So yeah, I figure it will be. But obviously, they're, they're going to tell people what they want to hear. Yeah, I feel like in the back end, they're going to be increasing taxes and we're going to be paying the price, whether it be now or long term, which is unfortunate. But that has a lot to do with policy. And I think policy will change with the next term, I hope. But that's just my thought on it. I guess the bigger question that's more relevant for people that are listening is like, one, where do you invest your money? Are there any investment opportunities out there that you guys strongly believe in or are confident about? Because I don't think the market is one. Crypto potentially, crypto's up, it's on a bull run today. I think Bitcoin is up 16% based on this news. But it was down 10% like last week. So yeah, it's yeah. Not, not, probably not that up yeah. that much. I think in the last, since this year, I think it went from like 16 to 26. But like, if you look at it further drawn out, it's definitely down overall. So it's interesting to see how that reacted. Um, so one, where are you putting your money? And then two, how are you making changes to how you're spending your money? Because I feel like when there's uncertainty in the market, whether it be with economics, uh, it the smart thing is probably to to change your spending limits, right? You fucking tell me, dude. I haven't been investing for a few. <laughs> it's been a few months. I haven't invested in anything. I've just been sitting on cash because I've been waiting for the event that's going to tank the markets and let you invest for pennies on the dollar. And now it's like cash is. Cash in your bank is in jeopardy, so I don't know. You got enlighten me. <laughs> I don't know. I just been kind of staying the course and diversifying a lot, like bonds, S and P five hundred. I invest in like this private credit fund, a diversified real estate fund, and then I guess with the recent news, like last time I got a, a bigger paycheck or distribution, I just kind of sat on all of it because at this point I'm like, this seems super shaky. But as long as I have enough accounts to stay under the FDIC limit, I'm like, that's kind of all I want to do right now until this shakes out. So yeah, I guess sit on it unless you're over that $250,000 limit. And if you are, get a new bank. Probably banking with a bigger bank is a better thing now Yeah. because I feel like the 
the downstream effect will affect the smaller banks more so than the top four, top 10 banks in the world. So yeah, it's really, I don't know what's going to happen to be honest with you, but I guess I have been like pulling back a little bit, but still just diversifying on a smaller scale. Yeah. Just thinking more long-term and not overreacting on short-term news. Yeah. No, like the last investment I made was into like a Roth, which I never had before. So I was like, okay, it's still like a future bet on the economy. Yeah. Because <laughs> like there is a scenario in which shit goes completely south. We enter World War Three. We become China's bitch. And like now nothing looks good. But at that point, I'm like, okay, I lost the bet. We have bigger problems now. Yeah. Yeah. I don't so know. It's whatever. I don't know. I feel like if my cash in my bank isn't safe, like everything's fucked either way. And like I'm going to be trading guns for potatoes and I don't know. <laughs> Just, yeah that's the interesting thing i just like, i don't know i for me right now it's like every every investment form is like a distraction and i'm just staying in cash and just working on the business and that's the biggest investment for me is just growing a business i guess i guess the reason why i'm not worried about it is because all of our businesses are not recession proof but they're things that people are going to need regardless of market conditions like yeah. we're not working on an nft project right and we're not working on a service that's seen as like a luxury good it's services that people have always needed and will always need and even if it gets to a point where let's say with ai the typical agency model is just completely done like people are still going to need lead generation and one for way, whatever shape, the or form. ai so, business yeah so if you yeah. still like kind of keep your finger on the pulse you're gonna be good which i guess is all we're kind of doing now that's why that's like the only reason i consume news in the first place i didn't watch cable and forever i try not to look at any news on social media like my twitter feed is all like business or just like ufc even talking about this shit. shit just freaks me out like you step outside and you're like oh everything's fine then you get into this conversation and you're like fuck we're all it's over you can't control yeah. it anyways so it's like why even stress about it i guess it's good to stay informed but at the same time it's a, it, it does nothing for you to dwell on it yeah not to dwell on it but to plan decisions smartly because i feel like when stuff like this is happening you can either focus on, okay, everything's going to shit, poor me, or where's the opportunity? Because there's always opportunity. Yeah. And I think that's really where you should be looking. I want to say one thing uh, that for one of you mentioned, but like, yeah, Christian mentioned being like working on a business. And I feel like, yeah, there's all these asset classes out there like real estate and stocks and crypto. But I feel like in a time like this, the best asset class is really like yourself which is being able to produce and generate revenue through yeah. a business or as a business owner, whether it be developing copywriting skills, sales yeah. skills. Hermosi. I was going to say SME. SME 500. That's the corniest shit I've ever heard. So I almost unsubscribed to Hermosi because of that. Ghostwriter now. But like, I think that's key. And if you are uh, in business, there's a few more relevant things to mention here, uh, which has to do with banking. Uh, so we bank with Mercury, which is an online banking system. And they put out an email after all this stuff happened, letting customers know that uh, FDIC insurance is up to 250,000, but they have some way of banking with like across 12 different banks, I'm pretty sure with our funds. And so they're able to guarantee up to a million dollars FDIC insured. And so we could talk about FDIC insurance, huh? Three what? Three, oh, up to three. All right, Mr. Producer is like an advisor for Mercury now, apparently. And so he's saying that. Shout out Mercury. Mercury's up to three million. Shout out to Mercury, yeah. But I saw a tweet where it's like the SVP bank crash alone, if they had to call an FDIC insurance, would have wiped out like 
more than half of the FDIC treasury overall. And yeah. so like that one bank failure would have wiped out half of the funds that already exist for FDIC insurance. Yeah, they could print more money. So that's something not to scare you guys. That's one I'm thing. So scared. bank with Mercury. But then you have Stripe on the other side of things. And I was listening to the Hormozy podcast with Andy Fursell, and he was talking about how one of his earlier on businesses uh, got banned by a payment processor. And he said, like, business owners don't really think about this because they never have to. But, like, if you can't process money, how are you going to be in business? Like, think about that. Like, if you, have, if you don't have a way to collect money from a customer, how do you... Or pay your employees. Run a business. Yeah. Yeah, so like Stripe recently has been banning randomly with no reasons given uh, a lot of people in our space. Yeah. Which is really interesting. And so an alternative I want to put it out there is Easy Pay Direct. It's another payment processor. I know Christians buddies with friends uh buddies or friends have a payment processor that they uh work with as well. So there's other options out there and I think the best thing you can do similar to what you said is just diversify. Put your money in multiple banks account bank accounts put, uh, have multiple payment processors because, yeah, I feel like if you just have one point of reliance, you're kind of fucking yourself. So you can kind of plan for it. In a way, yeah, yeah. for sure. Do you think, like, physical assets, like a house or jewelry, like a, a Rolex or something, is, like, a hedge against that? Well, against we were just the, talking to the guy that does the the watch podcast here, and what he was saying, which is very obvious, is, like, Rolex market tanked. And so, like, yeah, you could technically put your money into a hard asset like a watch, but that market's also going down. Because if you think about it, if you need money right now, and this is, like, also relevant to the NFT market, if you need money to pay for something like a house or a car or food, like the necessities of life, because a watch is a necessity. Like, if I needed money and this is all I had, I'm selling it, regardless of how much I'm selling it for. I'm not trying to make a profit. I'm just yeah. trying to get money. Yeah. And so I would say luxury market's probably not the best bet. Something like housing probably better but at the same time you have mortgage rates that are what like eight percent now bro i feel like crypto yeah. is such a move because even if you have a bitcoin you can sell it in, that's in what i wanted to get to is i know you're not big on crypto no. you're huge on crypto i'm kind of undecided and so like what are your guys thoughts on crypto i mean every bank stock went down and bitcoin and eth went up it's like i think the i'm the most skeptical person alive where it's like Whenever something seems good, that's probably because the bad people are making it seem good so they can fuck you over in the end. I don't know. But for me, it's like, I feel like crypto, if you have it on a cold storage and you can just, you know, split to, I don't know, Kenya or Bali with your ledger wallet and some Bitcoin and ETH and you're good because you can turn in that Bitcoin or ETH for any currency in the world. And you're kind See, of I would agree with chilling. you if I was from Kenya or Bali. Like we're from the US. We're like, the United States dollar is the leading global currency. Yeah, I feel like if the U.S. dollar crashed, the whole world would like just be fucked. So yeah, and every crypto is tied to it, anyways. So my opinion on crypto, I think that there's a lot of interesting applications, especially if you're a criminal. Uh, but for the most part, I <laughs> have never bought into like, hey, this is most definitely the future, right? Like I, I just I don't see it. Like even with the whole Web three thing, like there's so many crazy web three companies without like a clear application that got a bunch of funding i i wonder how they're doing now i, I think crypto on a base great. level like the coins and the economics of it is the future i think it makes sense but for me it's like just bitcoin and ethereum because i think at this point it's too big to fail yeah 
I'm just not interested in. But I also think that eventually our banking system will be crypto. I don't. But well, I'm crypto a, or digital currency, like the digital banking currency that they always talk about with like the new world order and the great reset, and <clears throat> central shit. banking system and yeah. whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe there's a coin out there that the government accepts and it just hundred X's, but yeah. I don't know. I don't know either. A lot of smart people say that Bitcoin is like going to be the future of reserve, like store value, and there's only twenty six, yeah, like full million coins. Out yeah, there. no, no. I I still invest in crypto, just Bitcoin, Ethereum, nothing else. But I don't think it's something that's going to like break away and greatly outperform like every other asset class. Like a lot of people on Twitter think it's like this is going to be it going forward. Like I think it's just I view it the same way as I view the S and P five hundred, just less safe. Yeah. I th- yeah. Yeah, I think ETH is like the foundation of the future of the internet, though. That's I like ETH more than Bitcoin, yeah, just because like all of the uh, everything's built on their network. Like ETH is like investing in the internet as a whole. Like if the next Google, Apple, Amazon is built on ETH, you get the upside of it because you own ETH. I don't know. Yeah, my thoughts. But will that happen? Like, think of how hard it is to compete with Google, like or compete with like these major tech incumbents. They're essentially. Well, all these companies are going to jump onto it. That's what I'm saying. Like, the future of the internet will be... But, there, yeah, there will be a next Google. It's just, what does that look like? Well, but also, like, Amazon is getting into NFTs, and I think every transaction eventually will be some sort of blockchain transaction. I think the technology, for sure, is going to be applicable to everything that yeah, we do. Yeah, is the biggest... Yeah, I is think the for technology. Sure. I think it's going in that direction. Um, I just... I'm not educated on it enough yeah. to predict like yeah this is the only thing that'll be around in 10 years from now well, yeah i just think it's like i think there's real value way back when the internet was formed everyone's like oh this ain't gonna last like this is bullshit like yeah. a computer who the fuck's gonna use a computer and now it's like every single person uses a computer like without a second thought so i think if you believe in it enough and you can invest in it early enough um you have such a knowledge gap on everyone else that when it is widely accepted you're you know you know one of the things that Jennings, who we had on this podcast, I think it was the third or fourth episode, uh, said we, we do like a Bible study in Klein Ascension every Friday. And we got to reading a book that talked about like business for the glory of God. Uh, and one of the things he talked about is everything that he does, like every investment that he makes, every, everywhere he puts his money is for good intent. So I guess I'm trying to figure out the best way to describe this, but like he puts his money where he knows good can happen and come from. And I think if you kind of lead with that methodology as your investment strategy, you'll probably make out pretty well. And what I mean by that is throwing money into something that you actually believe can be the, the cause for good, right? So like if you think Bitcoin can help people, which I know it can help people because I have family in Lebanon that are going through yeah, an economic money crisis. Instantly. Yeah, they can't get money out of the banks in Lebanon like at all, or they can get very limited amounts. And even the money there is not worth much at all anyways, but they could get crypto almost instantly. So there yeah. are real world, real world applications where good can be done from it. And so I don't know, does that make sense to you guys what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah, but I guess what's the strategy for investing in like a duplex and raising the rat on these guys? Well, you're providing, you're providing a place, a home. But somebody's already providing it. You're making cosmetic improvements and then you charge yeah. them more. Well, that, that person at the end of the day has a choice to decide where they want to live, right? Yeah, no, I agree with you there. Yeah. I'm just saying I don't see it as like a force of good. Or like with the S&P 500, for example. Like, yeah. I don't, 
I probably don't align with a lot of things like Zuckerberg's doing in this dark <laughs> room, like controlling the world, but yeah, I still think it's a good investment. Well, I think overall, just the foundation of it is you're providing, you're, you're putting money back into stimulate the overall economy, which is going to have a great impact on jobs. It's going to have a great impact on technology being developed. And so I don't know. I just think if, if you can ask yourself the question is like, how is my money being used? It's probably more applicable to like, where do you donate your money? Yeah, yeah that's what I was saying. I see it more as like a, <laughs> more as like a donation strategy as opposed to like an investment strategy. Dude, I simulate the sense. Tampa economy so much. <laughs> yeah. That Bar Howard money just goes right back into the economy. It's yeah, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so we have one more topic. This will be a lot shorter and then we'll wrap. What are we at? Like an hour, Scott? Oh, oh wow. Nice. We like to talk. Real quick, real quick. Real quick. So... We're part of Money Twitter, obviously. That's where we come from, or that's how a lot of you guys know us. Name five us. brothers, bro. <laughs> what? I said name five, name brothers. five brothers. All right. Name every Greek alphabet letter. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like a big vibe on Money Twitter is that sports doesn't really have a place, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're you're normie. If you yeah. wear a person's jersey, you're a cuck. And <laughs> looking directly at Christian walking into the... Tampa Bay Lightning game with his fifth jersey that he's bought this week. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so I want to kind of talk it's about that fun, topic. Uh, and I know you guys sports gamble. Um, I sports invest. It's a lot different than gambling. <laughs> Bro, I have a fat investment on Houston. <laughs> I, I, I look at it as investing rather than gambling, but we could talk about that. No, you don't. And s- <laughs> All right. I've made one bet this year, one investment this year, and it was on John Jones. Uh, who won very easily? So that's well, why you I hate John Jones. And yeah. Why did you oh, what is he doing for the good of the people? Why huh? did you? Yeah. You like to invest in things that All do right. good for people. What why? did that do? Secondhand market, bro. Come on. He put my hometown on the map. True. That's the good. Did end. he though? Who knows that he's even from Binghamton? Oh my God. But I think what he what he really meant to say is even even he gives into his vices sometimes because we're yeah, all out I'm not drinking, perfect, having bro. a good time, and he knew that we had a ton of money on it. So he's like, "Fuck, I got to get into the action." He got the gamblies. Which happens from time to time. I got the what? The gamblies? The gamblies. Sometimes (laughs) you just wake up, you make a parlay because you have the gamblies and go on with your day. Get the gamblies every morning, bro. But yeah, I mean, we had, uh, I think we all had a lot of money on John Jones, which was great. Got the W, greatest of all time. You betting this weekend on the fights? What fights? Usman and Gaethje. Usman versus Edwards, right? Usman versus Edwards and then Gaethje versus... Dude, we definitely have to do Saturday night now. (laughs) No, but uh, my focus is on March Madness, so I didn't even know there were fights, to be honest with you. But, yeah, sure. Yeah, We got a, we got a bracket pool going in Klein Ascension. That'd yeah, like fun. half the people are like, yo, what is this? What is this? What is this? <laughs> They're like, we what? just announced that we're giving away a gift card to the winner. And people <laughs> yeah, we'll get a bunch of We got like there. four sign-ups, and then Chris is like, there might be a prize, and it's like 10 more people <laughs> join. <Yeah. laughs> so it's funny how you can motivate people. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we could talk about sports all day long, and we don't have much more time left on this episode. I mean, what do you guys think? Thinking about what? The episode. Oh. Oh, I mean, pretty solid. It's, it's been fun. I honestly. think we got more into a conversational groove towards the end there, for sure. But Yeah. So our plan, like I said in the beginning, is to do uh, at least one of these formatted episodes every month. Uh, we're going to call them Members Lounge Series. And we're just going to rotate host every week so or every episode. So I was technically the host for this episode. And then Dan or Christian will be next. And we'll just... Uh, Basically, just to get a glimpse into like how we plan this, we just met on a Zoom call last night, opened up a Google Doc, threw in a bunch of topics that we all care about and feel like talking about, and showed up today and hit record. So 
this might change and it might take on more structure but yeah i'm pretty feeling pretty good about how this one went and uh really like how we've had all of our success in business it's by listening to the people's feedback and so we definitely want to hear your guys' thoughts and feedback on this episode and all the episodes we've done up to this point uh and and that's really it so one thing that you guys can do is our audience and people that enjoy this show is obviously like and subscribe the episode on youtube uh and even more important than that is sharing it with a friend or two that you think might find this interesting and even more important than that go to your local apple store get onto every ipad (laughs) macbook pull it up put it on mute play it replay it let's let's boost the algorithm this guy's trying to farm views we we don't i mean we don't have a guest on so i was like oh shit we got a chance to plug so yeah (laughs) there's a lot at stake here if this is like our worst episode we're gonna be like fuck what if it's our best gonna be a huge ego killer but it's all good part of the process yeah all right good stuff guys